Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Lord in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for each one here. Thank you, Lord, for what you uh, want to do in our lives today, in our hearts. But Lord, thank you as well for all that you have done, even before we were born, long before we were born, Lord, you, you thought of us, and you provided for us, and you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins, and to save us, and deliver us from bondage, and bring us into, um, into life, into a whole new existence, a whole new identity, and a whole new reason to celebrate. Thank you that we can celebrate together here today. We pray for those who aren't here that you would bless them. And those who are here, Lord, you would just speak to our hearts as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're, we're, um, we're hitting some high points here in the history of salvation. Um, the scriptures uh, come to us um, as a record of actual historical events, of God working in space and time, in human lives and peoples, and uh, the commentary that goes along with that, because God doesn't just tell us in his word what happened, he tells us why. And he tells us the uh, implications of that going forward uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, and into the New Testament uh, as well. And um, that's the pattern of biblical revelation. I've mentioned a few times over the last uh, month or so or more about the, uh, the doctrine or principle of progressive revelation, that the Bible progressively reveals God, as to say that as uh, events happen and as those events are commented on by God and interpreted by God, there is revelation uh, from God about him and who he is and what he's like. And then in successive generations, those patterns are, are uh, repeated with more revelation or new, new revelation expanding on what God has already built in regard to his revelation of himself. And so that's, that's important because we want to be able to understand Scripture and uh, it's, um, it's that principle, in part, that allows Scripture to interpret Scripture. And that's very important. We're not just opening our Bibles and saying, gee, let me read this and think about what it might mean. Because it's, it, the Scripture interprets Scripture, and, uh, and that's uh, really important. And so we're hitting some real, some real high points in salvation history. Um, in, in these days, as we're in the book of Exodus, our Alan Cole refers to Exodus as, I've said this every Sunday for the last three Sundays, the center point of the Bible. Yes, the center or of the Old Testament. The center of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And that's where we're at. And so that's exciting. And you can, you can turn uh, there to Exodus. Now today we're supposed to be in Exodus chapters uh, 16 and 17. And, and Lord willing, we will get there. But I want to, uh, I just want to remind you uh, of the whole um, uh, Exodus 
account within Exodus, the actual coming out of the people of Israel, out of Egypt, and how big of an event that was with the Passover, the shedding of the blood, this offering of the lamb, the passing over of the death angel, the, sa- the saving of the, of the firstborn, uh, and the death of the firstborn, which represents, the, the firstborn represented the whole people. And so it's, um, it's a really big uh, deal. And then the coming, actual coming out and the uh, crossing of the Red uh, Sea and the whole uh, way in which that material is presented to us in the, in the book of Exodus as a, 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 a beginning, a starting point of the nation, the people. Israel is becoming a people. Please try to understand that as we've been going through the patriarchs, there is a very kind of a sense, you know, you have Abraham being called out and he's kind of wandering around the promised land, uh, very, very, you know, kind of nomadic and very, uh, uh, you know, he's an individual, a father, and he had a tribe. But now we're talking a people, a nation and a people. And, and that, that development is, uh, is significant. It's, it has great theological uh, significant uh, significance. Uh, God says um, through Moses, you know, you know what? Throw your old calendar out because your life begins now. As a people of God, this is your birthday. And that's the way the event of the Exodus, the Exodus, with the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea, is presented. And in fact, when we come into the New Testament, those events, the crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the, the, the blood of the lamb and the crossing of the Red Sea are co- correlated with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the shedding of his blood and our baptism out of death into new life. And so that's the way this, this um, reads theologically, and, it, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, so this new identity, this national identity, uh, that's forged out of the affliction of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery, uh, into the redemption or the redeeming or the purchasing of God that uh, the people now, uh, their, their identity is, is that they are uh, saved to God and belong to him, just like you and me. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're saved from sin and death and hell, but you're saved to God. Or, J- Jalen, you are saved out of the bondage of Egypt but you are saved into serving as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And there is immense freedom in being a servant or a slave of Jesus, right? Thank you. I was hoping that we would get at least two amens on on that one. Um, Okay, so not just God's man, not just God's woman, but God's people. God chose Abraham, remember, he told him, he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And as we come into the book of Exodus, and the event of Exodus, here we are. This is the fulfillment of that, uh, of that promise. A whole new people, a whole new life, and a whole new identity delivered by God and belonging to him. And that begs the question, okay, well, who is this God? Who is the Lord? And then you come to the, to the Red Sea in particular, and it's the words are, stand back and you will see the salvation of your God. He's mighty to save. And that was kind of the, the main point 
coming out of last week, that, uh, that salvation, that new life, and that new identity of the people of God, and complete with uh, customs and, and laws that are going to be coming, and, and holidays and feast days. And you know how important Christmas is to your family? Growing up, you, you know how you know how in our culture we don't know why people out there that don't, that, that aren't uh, worshiping Jesus they have no, they have no idea why Christmas feels the way it does to them because it's so deeply ingrained in their their psyche from from uh, their early childhood up through going back for generations. But it's, and 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 so this these events the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that was was uh, collected with with that, into that, you know, a, a whole, a whole uh, uh, week of celebrating and feasting and fasting and, and worshiping and praying and, and, uh, and all that goes with that, um, all new, all placed into the fabric of the collective uh, values and attitudes and understandings of the people. It's hard to uh, overestimate the importance of that. I did, I, I'm going to put this quote up again. I, I put it up last week. I hope that you will forgive me for repetition here, but the reason I repeat these things is because they're just so important for our understanding, okay? Uh, this is a quote from somebody whose name I can't pronounce uh, from the African Bible Commentary. His first name is Abel. I can pronounce that. After that, I'm pretty lost. But it says, the people, and he's commenting on this This section of scripture, Exodus 13 particularly, the people are to celebrate in family groups. That's new. Um, and the animals are to be slaughtered by the people of the community at the same time. That's new. This is the first record we have of a sacrifice being offered by families rather than by individuals and of the whole community participating in a shared ritual together. This had not been done in the times of the patriarchs. The references to the community Look at this. The references to the community, your Bible might say congregation, but whatever word is there, uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, and in Exodus chapter 12, verse 6, also suggest the beginnings of the idea of a people, a nation. This idea will come to full bloom with the announcement of God's choice of the nation and its establishment of the covenant with them in chapters 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai, right? But that's where we're at. That's what we're talking about. This is, you know, talking about the Old Testament, it doesn't get any bigger than this. You want to understand the Old Testament? You want to understand the New Testament? You need a better understanding of the Old Testament. You want to understand the Old Testament? Understand the book of Exodus. Understand these events. Not just the events themselves and the details, but what God says about it. The commentary, the inspired commentary. The record of the events and the commentary are both inspired by God and given to us so that we can know our Bibles. Let me say this. You want to know God? You need to know your Bible. Because the Bible is God's primary means that he's given us that we might come to know him. And I don't know how to overstate that because I don't think it's possible to overstate it how important that is. So corporate or collective identity. Um, Well, um, there was something else that we, uh, I'm skipping over some notes here, but what I'm skipping over, just I'll tell you what I'm skipping, is when the New, coming to the New Testament and the script, and, the, and, and the, I, think it's, I think it's Matthew, 
says, this was done to fulfill what was said by the prophets, out of Egypt have I called my son. He's talking about Jesus. You think that through, okay? Think that through, this truth, this whole corporate identity of Israel as the, as the firstborn. And that's in uh, what the Israel is called in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21 to 23. First time that phrase is used, firstborn, in reference to a people. It's always used in reference to, uh, literally, to an individual. Suddenly it's being used as a whole people. And you come into the book of Isaiah, and you have say Isaiah talks about the servant of the Lord and so on. And there's a lot of theology that you just, you could really benefit from digging into, but we won't go into it any deeper this morning than that. I want to draw your attention, though, to the, the uh, uh, chapter 13. And again, we're going back here because we never touched on this last week, or I never touched on this last week, and I'm thinking, I can't go by without touching on this because it's so significant and so important. I'm talking about the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We never touched on it, but uh, go to chapter uh, 13 and verses 17 to 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Do you remember that? Right? From Genesis, the end of Genesis, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, Surely God will visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And then in verse 20 of chapter 13, it says, And they moved on from Succoth to and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord, L-O-R-D, I don't know why our projection doesn't capitalize the L-O-R-D there, because I've noticed this in and it's, it's frustrating, right? If you have uh, your Bible in front of you, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means that word is what? Yahweh. Yahweh. Thousands, several thousands of times in the Old Testament, God's name, Yahweh, is used. And when it is in the Hebrew, it's translated into English with capital letter, letters L-O-R-D. To be distinguished from capital L, small O-R-D, which usually is a, is a translation of Elohim or Adonai. Okay, so um, I don't know why it's not projecting that way, but, but we talked about that a few weeks back, and that is really important. Yahweh went before them uh, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. that they might travel by day and by night, and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. So it says the Lord uh, went uh, before them. There's middle, millions of them, remember, right? There's millions of them. It says the Lord uh, went uh, before them. And the presence of God with his people is a theme. It's a dominant theme from this point on. Again, if you're talking, if we're talking about uh, dominant themes or high points or theological high points, historical high points attached to theological high points. The presence of God with his people is a theological high point. It is a found, it's, it's something that's, that's uh, new or expanded from what was previously experienced because God now, God now is not only present in their lives like he was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember Jacob at Pen Pen Peniel? Uh, God is definitely with him, right? But now there's a difference. God's not just with Jacob. He's with 
the people. This is a visible, supernatural, physical manifestation of the presence of God amongst his people. This is really big. Imagine what it must have been like. And uh, so uh, we have this here, these teachings that we are uh, now his possession and his possession of us secures his presence in us and with us, leading in our lives as we walk with him. Romans 8, Paul says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God um, are the, uh, the children of God. And then uh, the presence and leading of God here is manifested in a special way in the midst of the community of his people. Um, just take a moment and think about that. I know you've thought about God's presence in your life personally, or at least I certainly hope you have, and all that that means. And the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that the moment you are saved, you have the Spirit of God in you. Okay? In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, if you do not have the Spirit of God in you, then you do not belong to him. It's that emphatic and that clear. Okay? But the Bible also teaches that God is presence in the um, community of his people. And there is a difference. It's, 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 it's kind of like synergy is. You know, you have one and one and one. You put all the parts together and you get eight. And you go, how does that work? And God is, God is like that. He does the new math, right? It, the, the total is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, I don't mean to, you know, reduce God when I say that to a mathematical equation. What I'm saying is, is that God is not only present in us, with us, but he is present with us as a people. There's a, and this is where that starts here. This is the beginning of that, and that's going to carry through, and it's going to be a really important thing. Um, I've I got to move on here. Uh, chapter 14, we, we, um, we were gonna, I was going to read it last week. I never read any of it because of the time factor, but I'm not going to read it with you this morning. I, I know most of you have read it and are re in the presence, process of reading it. I just want to point out a couple of things quickly, for, quickly from Exodus 14. Um, verse uh, 4 says, uh, uh, the last part of verse 4 says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his house, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. That's Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, capital O, capital R, capital D. Uh, and we remember that's been a, a major theme, right? Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to ask people to go. And all the plagues were given so that you will know, but not just Egypt. So the Israel would know. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. It says in verse 4. But if you drop down to verse 13, and Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and you will see the salvation of the Lord. Uh, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. That's an interesting concept to meditate on. Spend some time meditating on that. The Lord will fight for you. Uh, verse 15, lift up your staff, God says to Moses. And stretch over the over the uh, your hand over the sea and divide it. Uh, we talked a little bit about the staff of Moses and the hand of Moses, and there's so much in there that is fun to think about. and And uh, we won't take a lot of time. Uh, we won't take time for that this morning. But look at verse um, 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten 
glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. See, that's what this is, is, is about here, right? Then uh, verse 19, the angel of God who was going before them. Look at this. Verse 19, then the angel of God who was going before them, before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and lit the night without one coming near the other all night long, moved in between. To, to what? To protect. To protect uh, the people. So you have God's presence, you have God's provision, and you have God's protection. Uh, verse 24 says, In the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces in a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord, Yahweh, fights for them against the Egyptians. And then just draw your attention to the last uh, couple verses there in chapter 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. All is good. Hallelujah. We are saved. We'll never have to worry about those Egyptians ever again. There's their corpses laying on the beach. There will be future battles. But God will use this battle to establish a precedent for all coming battles because the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, um, I want to, before we, again, before we get into chapter 16 and 17 and all, and I know I'm, I I'm going to run out of time, I know I am, but we're still going to do this because I, we, we have to talk about chapter 15, okay? Chapter 15 is what happens next. And the reason I want to talk to you about it is because it, it's so important to the context because it's, it's the first recorded, are you listening? It's the first recorded corporate worship service in the Bible. Think about that. That, may, that, that in itself makes it pretty, pretty interesting to me. And, okay, they've just, they're, they're standing there with their jaws dropped, looking at the beach and the body scattered on the beach. And you might think that's a little bit morbid, but I tell you what, if you had a fully armed soldier on a horse bearing down on you, you would be happy if God threw him in the sea. Just saying, okay? And were they happy? You better believe they were happy. They had just been delivered. They had just been saved. They were ready to sing and dance. And they did. I mean, it was, must have been really something. Now, as near as we can uh, tell here, the... Um, uh, from the text, um, Moses led uh, the people of Israel in a song. In fact, it says that verse fifteen of or verse uh, uh, yeah verse fifteen of chapter verse one. Sorry, I don't even know where I am. I think it's verse one. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, "Who's like you, O Lord, among the gods?" No, that's verse fifteen of uh, chapter. Where am I? 
Chapter 15, verse 1. Okay, that's why I'm getting confused there because I got a 15 and a 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord. Yeah, so he leads them in the song. Thank you. He leads them in the song, and, um, and uh, the, uh, uh, I think it's in verse, uh, 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Um, just before that, we have those words, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome, glorious deeds, doing wonders? And so Moses is leading the people in a song. I don't know how exactly he did that, whether they made the words up as they went or if they were working on it and put it together or so on. I think a lot of it was spontaneous. I think a lot of it was because, you know, I mean, they just got saved, right? And what do they know about worship songs? They just got saved. Right? And here they are singing about their salvation. Uh, pretty awesome when you, when you think about it. Um, and then it says that Miriam, uh, who is the sister of Moses and Aaron, grabbed a tambourine. I saw one here earlier. There it is. I can't play one of these things. But she grabbed the tambourine, and she, it says she led all of the women in, uh, in a song and dance. And... Uh, it must have been something, uh, visions of river dance come to my mind because they must have been really, they were really having a, just an amazing priority, amazing time of worship. And, uh, you know, what, what, did that, what did that kind of look like, you know? Uh, what were the men doing? Well, the, it, it just says the women were, were, were dancing and singing. And, and so, uh, and, and I suspect it was like, you know, whether they were four years old or 40 years old or 14 years old, they were all out just jumping and dancing. I mean, celebrating. And uh, the guys were evidently watching. Keeping all the sheep in line, yeah. Yeah. Keeping the sheep in line? Who is like unto thee, O Lord, amongst the gods? No, <laughs> it's not ringing a bell. It might be before my time. <laughs> it, it may well have been, yeah. Uh, I just like thinking about this because here we, this is the first, first corporate worship time recorded in Scripture. And, and, and I, I enjoy thinking about what it was like. And, and, and when, I, you know, when I ask the question, what were the men doing? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm speculating, obviously, because it doesn't say what they were doing. But, you know, I'll just speak to all the guys for a minute, like here, what would you be doing? Seriously, what would you be doing? You would be watching. And praising, yeah, yeah. So... I like thinking about this, and I'd love to drill down on it in the camp, but I just wonder, you know, uh, is that, was that, um, was it warranted? Was it worship? Was it sanctioned? Was it important? Those are all, they seem like such basic questions, 
to me in a way, but really I, I'd like to think about things like that and think about the implications of our lives, but we have to move on because we have to talk about what happens next. What he did, yeah. What happens next? What? What? Yeah, like, what? You're kidding me, right? You gotta be. You got. This can't be right. Um, Let me, let me say this to you, and how many of you know this, that even as believers, as beloved children of God, we are always only one step away from being miserable failures as human beings. I'll say that again. Even as believers, as children of God, beloved of God, we are always only one step away from being failures as human beings. It's true. And, and there's something else here, too. And that is that we, um, although we are forgiven and blessed with God's presence and his provision and his leading in our lives and his protection, we are still fallen men and women living in a fallen, fallen world while we are purchased or adopted into the family of God, and that happens in a moment's time, learning to follow him and live fully for him is a lifetime of learning. How many of you know that? If you've been saved as a Christian any longer than a few hours, you probably know that. I'll give you a day. A day. Then you know that. And that's kind of something that we're going to try to focus our minds on today. Because, yeah, what happened next, it's not a pretty picture. Let's see in the next number of minutes here if we can kind of gallop through some of these horrible, disastrous failures on the part of the people and more importantly, at God's response. So, Exodus 15, verse 22 to 26. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was called Marah because Marah means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, because he's building all these things into the fabric of their identity as a nation. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes then I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Now, the, the first thing that we do when we come to this part, usually we throw up our hands in disbelief and say, how could these people be so fickle and so short, you know, sighted and have such short memories and everything? And, of course, 
uh, if we're honest with ourselves, then we know that we are just like them. But, and here's the but part that's so important, we learn through trials. Uh, God delivered them out of slavery and bondage and delivered them out of servitude to Pharaoh. Um, and he brought them out of Egypt, but he also led them into the wilderness. And the wilderness, in a sense, does represent our lives in this world, which is a crucible for growth. God wants to grow us. And although, in one sense, he's made us in a moment of time, he is in the process of working that out over days and weeks and months and years. So the first thing that they they run into, of course, is water deprivation. And, and we look at it and say, well, they were, they were um, you know, they were you know, really not very uh, mature in their faith. Uh, but I wonder how many of us have actually gone without water for any length of time and experienced what that is like. Verse 27 says, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they camped there. And I think we could say that we're thankful to the Lord for those oases in our lives that he leads us to. And in chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died in the, at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us a whole assembly with hunger. They were hangry. We never get hangry, right? And it's you say, that's pretty pathetic. Yes, it is. It is pathetic. Here they are looking back and said, man, we were better off in Egypt. You know, remember Egypt? Remember we used to sit around and, and, and eat all the meat and all the bread we wanted? Remember that? Wow. Here we are. We don't have any meat and any bread. And so they grumbled. And so would you and so would I. Well, God is going to give them meat and he's going to give them bread to the full. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, when the Bible talks about testing us, uh, God testing us, I think we need to clarify that God's not, uh, not uh, uh, bent on uh, learning anything about us as a result of those tests because God already knows everything about us. Um, he knows what's in our hearts. We, on the other hand, have a lot to learn, not only about God, but about ourselves and our own hearts too, right? So... Um, Also notice here in the passage that the bread, the point of the bread is not just that um, the lack of bread, that they didn't have any bread, and God is testing them uh, by, uh, by you know, hold, withholding bread or food from them. Uh, that's not what it says in the passage. It says, it's, uh, says if you go back to verse 4, 16, 4, uh, the last half says, um, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them 
whether they will walk in my law or not. It wasn't in the deprivation, although God does use deprivation, and, and there's other passages that says that he caused them to hunger, to humble them, and so that they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which Jesus quoted in Matthew when he was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan to turn stones to bread. Draw a line there, if you will. But here in this passage, he's saying he's testing them uh, as they go out and gather uh, each day, uh, whether they will walk in my law or not. And the reason it's said like that is because there were laws, specific laws that went with God's provision. God didn't just rain a bunch of bread down from heaven and say, there you go, help yourselves, hope you like it. He, he laid out specific instructions how, to, how they were to uh, harvest and handle that provision from him. And so, uh, and, the, and it is important, a part of the context here. So um, uh, if you look at it, there's three things about his instructions, okay? Number one, if you read down through there, it says, and, and even that verse, says they were only supposed to gather enough for one day at a time. And if, again, we won't read down through this whole passage, but if you read down through, you'll see that if they did more, if they tried to gather more than one day's bread at a time, what happened? It rotted. So they would gather, you know, they, for the day, and they would gather extra, and they would eat, until they were full, and they would go to bed and say, oh, great, we got this much leftover for tomorrow because we all know how much we love leftovers. I love leftovers. And they get up in the morning and it's, oh, man, it all stinks. Okay? But God had told them, don't do that. One day at a time. Now, okay, so here's the test. Why would God do that? Why would he give them those directions? Here's, here, here, here's what I think, okay? I think he wanted to teach them to trust him one day at a time. Remember what Jesus said about tomorrow? Sufficient today are the evils thereof. Don't worry about it. What did Jesus pray when you he said he taught you to pray? Jesus taught you to pray. He said, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. What does God want? He wants us to trust him. This instruction was to teach Israel in a very profound way to trust him. So that's, that's uh, one thing. Two, two, another thing, on the, um, the sixth day, they were told to, got, to gather enough for that day and the next day, which was the Sabbath day. And guess what? When they did that, it didn't go bad. And not only that, but the guys that went out to collect bread on the seventh day found what? Nothing. No bread. And again, God is doing this to teach and to instruct them, right? And uh, we are in need of that uh, instruction as well because God wants us to trust him and obey him. And he's teaching the people here. And he's teaching us. And this also is uh, the introduction where God really starts to lay out the laws of the Sabbath for the people, the day of rest, as part of God's instruction and wisdom for them as a people. Right? And you know how important that is as you go through the rest of the Bible, how important that Sabbath rest is. Uh, all right, the third thing, thirdly, the people... 
Uh, well, let's just, uh, this is kind of cool, but look at verse 17 and 18. The people of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, you can reference that. If you're taking notes, write this down in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. That's where Paul quotes this passage when he's talking up to the, uh, to the Corinthians about their giving habits. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 14 and 15. Um, you know, um, sometimes we, uh, we like to point out the fact that if Israel had a, simply obeyed God and, and, and done what they were supposed to do and not grumbled and complained and, 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 and doubted, they would have been in the promised land within a week. And instead, they wandered in the desert, for, in the wilderness for 40 years. And we are right to point that out because later on, you know, when we get to the 12 spies that go to spy the land, you know, there's definitely a lesson there. But don't miss this lesson. The Bible go, will go on to say, and it even mentions it in this context here, that God provided manna for them every day, except for the Sabbath day, day in, day out, for 40 years. Even though they grumbled and complained and lacked faith. God consistently came through for them. And I don't think we uh, want to miss, miss that uh, lesson. You know what? It says their sandals didn't even wear out. Forty years. Now I know probably some of our teens can wear out a pair of sandals in a week. Okay? Forty years. Think about it. So think about the value of this in terms of the, the learning and the teaching. So uh, what I, one of the things I take from that is this. Even trials that we bring upon ourselves. Listen, even trials we bring upon ourselves because of our own stubbornness and lack of faith become teaching tools in the hands of God to teach us his faithfulness. Isn't that something? Um, I'll, I'll get back to the storyline here. Uh, Moses, verse 6 of chapter 16. Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see, they're learning the same lesson over and over and over again. And, and that's the way it is. That's what you and I do. The situations change some. Our circumstances change some. But really, we're learning over and over again. Are you going, from God's word, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Can I trust God with this? Oh, I know he, he really worked here, but I, can I trust him with this? Over and over again, that you might know that I am the Lord who saved your soul, that saved you from Egypt. Exodus 16, verse 12, I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel say to them at twilight, <coughs> excuse me, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. The meat was supplied by the quail, uh, and the bread, of course, was the manna, which uh, means what? What is it? What's the word manna mean? What is it? Yeah, that's what it literally means, is what is this? Okay? Uh, and But so you see in that passage there again, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. It's all about relationship. It's all about knowing God. Then in chapter 17, verses 1 to 3, 
All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and Aaron, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Put the, uh, the people's uh, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Over and over, in successive situations, we're told here that the people grumbled. They grumbled at the Red Sea. They grumbled at Mara. They grumbled when they were hungry. They grumbled when they were thirsty. They grumbled at their leaders. And every single time, God met their needs. Think about that. He wasn't happy about it. As you read on, he, God's not pleased when we grumble. God's not pleased when we lack faith or when we doubt him. But God doesn't change just because we lack faith. What did Paul say? Though we believe not, yet he remains faithful. Yeah. Why would Paul say something like that? Two reasons. One, he had learned it. Two, it's in the book. It's in his word. Um, now, in this situation, this is the third, you know, kind of the third scenario here where you have the thirst, bitter water at Mara and the lack of food uh, at Elam and, uh, and then here at uh, uh, Horeb, uh, there, there, there's no water. Not just the fact that the water is bitter, there's like no water. And you uh, will, and will recall, I won't read down through this with you, but you know, I hope you know, you've read it. God says to Moses, I want you to take your staff and I want you to go and stand by the rock at Horeb. I want you to go stand by that rock and I want you to, to take your staff and I want you to strike that rock. And when Moses obeyed and did what God told him to do, if you haven't read this part, you're not going to believe this, okay? Because this is crazy. Water comes out of the rock. You know, they say, the old saying, you can't get blood from a stone. Well, let's see you get water from a rock. But God did. God brings, God brings water out of the rock, enough water to, to, to quench the thirst of millions of people flowing out of this rock. And I just, I'll just uh, get you to uh, jump for the sake of time. Uh, and you can turn there, or you can just uh, listen um, to me read it. But 1 Corinthians 10, I guess we have this to project, don't we, uh, uh, Mitchell? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. This is Paul writing again to the Corinthians. Listen, look at this. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank this from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. This applies directly to your life and mine as Christians, as Christ followers. The life of those who belong to the Lord is a life of learning. And it may frustrate you. Uh, I have to tell you uh, that learning the same lessons over and over and over again frustrates me. 
And sometimes I get frustrated with other people, but nobody frustrates me more than me. Really, I'm I'm being sincere when I I say that. And, uh, you know, this whole greater account here, this whole greater account, it's just, it's like, this is what happens when you get saved, okay? You start out, you're, you're in this state of agony and bondage and despair. You don't know where to turn. You don't know where your life's going. You, 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 you don't have any real hope. You don't have any really meaning. You don't have any real purpose. You're despairing and you're suffering and you're wallowing in your sin. And you don't even realize how incredibly dead you are. And then suddenly, you begin to live. You thought maybe you were living before, but when you really start to live, when you really come to know the salvation of God, you realize, wow, I wasn't living before at all. I was just existing. And now it's like, bring out the tambourine, people. Hallelujah. I'm saved. The Lord has saved me. He's given me a life. I was dead, and now I, you know, I'm condemned, and I'm in bondage, and now here I am. Hallelujah. Let's sing victory in Jesus together. You don't know victory in Jesus. It's an old song. The chorus goes, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. It'd be kind of like, oh, thank you very much. It'd be kind of like, and I know half, half of the people that are normally here or three-quarters of the people that are normally here this morning aren't here this morning, but just imagine if they all were and every single one of us had gotten saved this morning. Right? Right? That's what this was like at the Red Sea. When they came through that Red Sea and they, and they pulled out all the stops, it was like, man, oh man, what's that like? And that's what it's like for you and I. I hope you remember that day. I hope you remember that day. I hope you think back on it often. But here's the thing. Is that triumphantism? I mean, that idea of being saved by the blood and having the presence of God in your life and being baptized in the Red Sea, it's it's such a powerful thing, but is is it real? Is it real? Absolutely real. Absolutely real. But then it's like Mara and Elam and Horeb and the wilderness of sin smacks us right between the eyes. And doubt comes. I don't know a single person, a single Christ follower who has not experienced that. Do you? I don't. That's what happens. We have to learn over and over and over again. And it can be really frustrating. You ever wake up someday and, well, usually it's when you go to bed because usually when you wake up you're a little more optimistic. But usually when you go to bed it's like, oh man, I wish I could just take today and just erase it out of my life. Out of my, out of my life story. 
Today was not a good day. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 60 years old. Should I be making the same mistakes over and over again? It's really easy to get really frustrated with yourself. But I think one of the things that we need to really take from this, and I'll close with this because it is quarter after and we're all going to eat soup, but um, is, is the faithfulness of God in it. God led them into the wilderness. And he used those trials in the wilderness. And he was faithful. They doubted. God remained faithful. And in your life and mine, maybe, I don't know what your week's been like, your, your month's been like, or your year's been like, or your life's been like. But I know this. I know that God is faithful. And he's working. And even the situations and the circumstances that result from our stubbornness and our lack of faith, God uses those too. So get your mind and your eyes off of your failures and get them on this faithfulness and the providence of God because that's where they belong. That's what he wants from us. We will not, we will not grow in faith by looking at ourselves and, and getting frustrated with ourselves. We will grow our faith by getting our eyes on, on Jesus and who he is and what he's doing in our lives. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> Why don't you stand? <coughs> uh, I'm thinking. Weren't you in the room? Well, she was, I know she was earlier. She's up uh, heating up the soup. How many of you can stay? A few of you? We got a lot of soup to eat then, guys. We're going to we're gonna have to pretend we're, pretend we're at... Uh, at uh, Elam and eating manna and quail to the full. <laughs> okay, we're going to pray. Um, I don't know if there's anyone here this morning that has never experienced the the uh, the, the love and forgiveness and the power of God to save us from ourselves and from our sin and from our, uh, our, our bondage of, of our sin. Um, but if you are here and that's your situation, I would encourage you to look to Jesus. Look to the, to the Lord, to Yahweh for salvation and this morning. And I invite you to pray with me this morning. Lord, I thank you for these incredible truths and, and all that you have placed in the biblical record with the commentary that you provided here in this portion of your word for our benefit, for our good, so that we can learn who you are and what you're like and what that means when we have a relationship with you. Help us to get our eyes off of uh, our faults and our failures and off of ourselves. And help us, Lord, to, to know you and to get to know you more and more and better and better every day as the one who never fails, the one who is always faithful and always provides for us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and care about us that much. 
Teach us the lessons we need to learn, Lord, that we might bring glory to your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.